This is episode nine with Duncan Monzerud of Electric Violin Shop. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Creative Strings Podcast. If you've been checking this out, you know that we go into a pretty broad area of topics usually, but today we're going pretty specific. We're going to talk about technology around getting your sound, getting an amplified sound for bowed string players. It's a pretty narrow topic, but it's a very important one if you are a bowed string player. And it's one that a lot of us just kind of are afraid of, fear of all this technology and stuff. So I brought an expert today, Duncan Monserud of Electric Violin Shop. And Duncan's been dealing with these questions from sort of a technical end for many years. And I've been dealing with these questions as a player for almost three decades on stage and in the studio. So we wanted to bounce these ideas back and forth so you could basically get two opinions on a lot of these subjects that we feel are the most important subjects and try to break them down for you. Now, I can't stress enough how grateful I am to Electric Violin Shop for not only for sponsoring this series, but for being a resource to all of us. They are the only resource and the best resource because of the expertise they have and because of the fact that they're willing to get on the phone with you every single business day, (laughs) nine to five, you can call Electric Violin Shop and they will talk to you about all of your questions. I mean, what else is there to say? So check out this podcast, but then if you've got more questions, call Electric Violin Shop and you can also go to their website, electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings, and you'll even get a special discount. So let's get into this. special episode today of the Creative Strings podcast, and my guest is Duncan Monzerud. He's the marketing director of Electric Violin Shop, and he's going to talk to us about how to get a good sound with your amplified string instruments. This is something that I've worked on for, I don't know, 25 years. I'm really glad to talk to Duncan about this because, you know, he deals with this every day, constantly at electric violin shop, every kind of possible electric violin, every kind of accessory for any kind of needs for amplified string players. Uh, Duncan, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. So one of the things uh, I want to ask you about right off the bat, there are popular misconceptions that people have about amplifying. I mean, most string players are trained just with a wooden instrument their whole lives. And then at some point they think, oh, I need to be loud or I need to be able to play a different style of music. For whatever reason, they think that they may need to amplify or they need to go electric. 
So what are the some of the biggest popular misconceptions that strike you? Well, from talking to customers over the years, we get a lot of basic questions. People maybe don't understand even what types of strings or what bow to use with an electric violin. Really, strings can be the same as your acoustic. So can your bow. Those aren't things that you need to change up when you're playing electric or amplified. But some of the worst misconceptions that we deal with on almost a daily basis are people who think that the electric violin is something that sounds bad or harsh. And also people want wanting the electric violin to sound just like their acoustic violin. And really what people need to understand and what I hope people take away from this conversation is that the electric violin is a different tool than your acoustic and you're going to use it for different purposes. Much like a guitarist. Much like a guitarist, absolutely. Guitarists, almost any guitarist you talk to is going to own multiple guitars and usually an acoustic guitar and one or more electric guitars and they're going to use each one for different settings. You know, one of the things that strikes me about this issue, well, first of all is the fact that you know, a cello or a viola or a violin made 500 years ago. Wouldn't you say it is a piece of technology? Is that wrong to describe it as a piece of technology? Oh, absolutely. It is a piece of technology. It's a it's a machine. And its job, similarly to the electric instrument, violin, viola, cello, guitar, its job is to take the vibrations of your strings and amplify it. Obviously, the older instruments, a Stradivarius is going to do that using solely acoustic means. They didn't have electricity in the 1600s. But an electric violin is doing the same thing. You're bowing the strings, you're creating a vibration, and you're setting this process into motion whereby a pickup is going to amplify those vibrations and create an electrical signal. And it's going to go through an amp and effects and a speaker and eventually we're all able to hear it. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I like to make this equivocation. I mean, technology is technology. So for people to think that an acoustic instrument is somehow pure and that an electric instrument is this weird man-made thing, I just like to rule that out. It sounds like you're on the same page with me on that. Totally. But also, you mentioned that people want to try to replicate or get the pure acoustic sound with an electric instrument, which I can understand in certain situations, you, maybe you love the sound that you identify as an acoustic violin sound and you want to get something close to that. Certainly, I can appreciate that. But one of the distinctions I like to talk about is this idea of the pure sound of your instrument. I have this opinion about it that really your instrument always has a sound that's tied to whatever environment and whatever situation you're in. So there's always a filter on your sound. If you go through a microphone, your sound is filtered. But if you're in a bathroom, then your sound is a product of that bathroom. And if you're in the woods, your sound is altered by that. So people have this idea that there's a pure sound of an acoustic instrument, and I kind of dispute that. I mean, what do you think about that? I agree with that completely. Every instrument sounds a little bit different, but again, like you say, the same instrument played in any number of different settings sounds differently as well. You're talking about acoustics, but the same applies with electrics. I could play the same violin through the same amp but swap distortion pedals and you've got a completely different tone. So there are all these factors that play into what you sound like. As far as, you know, comparing electric violin or an electric cello to like an acoustic string instrument, what we're saying is they're different. There's going to be some things you can do with one and different things that you might be able to do with the other. As far as bad sound, is that just another way for people to say, it doesn't sound like my acoustic violin or is it also like, well, they just had a bad experience or something? Well, I think there's two aspects to it. 
I think one is, you know, battling a bad experience. You know, the only experience they may have with an electric violin or cello is, you know, with a less than ideal quality instrument, or maybe they didn't know what they were doing with the settings. But I also think back to your earlier point, a huge part of it is what they're hearing coming out of a speaker is not what they're used to hearing underneath their ear when they're playing their acoustic. And that's a big gap for people to kind of fill, especially in the string playing world. Oh, that's a great point. It is an adjustment. I mean, as a violinist, you're used to hearing the sound right under your ear. When you've got an electric violin, you've got to listen to wherever the sound's coming from the speaker. You might hear some sound from your instrument under your ear, but you may need to put that speaker in your ear or be listening. That, that's a really good point. I just want to add that it's not wrong to like the sound of your acoustic violin. Most of us do, and most of us spend years choosing the perfect acoustic violin for our taste, combining it with a really nice bow, picking out our favorite strings. Your acoustic tone is a great thing, and, and we don't want you to abandon that just to go electric. What we're saying is there are different tools for different purposes. And if you have a gig that you want to sound like yourself, your acoustic self, for, that's what we're also willing to help you do. And that's where you might get into using a mic or a pickup in order to preserve that acoustic tone as best you can, but also be heard in a larger environment or over top of other instruments you may be playing with. Oh, that's a great point, man. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me is, of course, I love my acoustic violin, but if I want to play in a rock band, it's not going to cut it. I mean, it's just, you know, you want to be heard. I mean, that was the reason I started going electric, whatever, 20 some years ago was because I wanted to be able to play in a rock band and you just can't hear it. In that case, you're talking about either miking your acoustic violin, maybe getting a pickup for your acoustic violin, or going with a solid body electric instrument. Any of those choices, just to be clear, you are going to be changing something. Let's talk about that. So these are like the three kind of options, basically, using a microphone on your instrument, putting a pickup in your instrument, some kind of blend of the two, and or getting a new instrument. Can you talk about the pros and cons of these kind of three amplification alternatives? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I might add to the, maybe as a subcategory of pickups, I might add the idea of an acoustic electric instrument, which is basically an acoustic violin with a permanent pickup attached that you're, ne you're not really going to play in an orchestra with. It's really designed for acoustic amplified performance. Yeah, back to your point about the three different types. You've got microphones and pickups and solid body electrics. They're all good. Again, they're all for different purposes and there are small trade-offs with each. I would say if you're trying to preserve your acoustic violin's tone as best you can, your best option might be a microphone because it's just going to grab the full spectrum of your tone. It's going to grab all the overtones and really relay them beautifully, you know, to a speaker. There are some drawbacks to using microphones. If you're standing on stage and there's a microphone on a stand or on a boom, you're kind of limited in your motion. The mic is only going to pick up in certain directions, so you kind of have to stand still where your violin sounds best. And a lot of violinists and cellists don't like to be perfectly still when they play. Another drawback would be if you're playing, say, 
in a band, maybe a worship band, a rock band, you've got drums, guitars, keyboards, basses, you might experience feedback issues when you're playing with a microphone. That's something that doesn't really work for people. In which case, you might want to think about using either a pickup, which is a little more feedback resistance, or going to a solid body instrument, which really avoids feedback pretty well. Those are great points. Um, In fact, I hadn't even thought about this issue where you're moving around and, you know, it's going to affect your volume level if you're unless you're like right on the mic. You made the point that a microphone is going to be the best or maybe the most accurate translation of your acoustic instrument. Of course, barring that you're not dealing with feedback issues, depending on how loud the environment is. But I still want to make the point, I think you agree with me, that that microphone is filtering or coloring or changing the sound of your acoustic violin. And again, that any environment is filtering your acoustic violin. So not to be too attached to whatever this idea that you have in your mind that your instrument has a pure sound. That's right. That's right, Chris. I would almost look at it this way. On the subject of mics real quickly, I'll add that in spite of what I said about the microphone, you know, being stationary on stage, there are also clip-on microphones or gooseneck mics that'll clip onto your cello or your violin or viola. So that kind of frees you up again. But you're still going to deal potentially with feedback. We could also, while we're at it, we could address the question of wireless mics. Do you mind touching base on that real quick? Yeah. And what you said about mics is true. You could spend $50 on a mic. You could spend thousands of dollars on a great studio mic, and you're going to hear a big difference with the same violin. So so what you said is absolutely true there. Uh, another thing is that people do want to play wirelessly. Uh, they don't want to be attached to an amplifier or to a speaker. They want that freedom of, of motion on stage. So that's another thing that we offer is a wireless transmitter that will attach to your instrument or to a, a waste pack. That'll free you up a lot on stage. This is great. I mean, even just as I talk about this with you, you know, more things are coming to mind. I'm kind of used to just having my my tone. I've dealt with these problems for over 20 years. So in some ways, I feel like I take it kind of for granted because it's what I do every day. You know, I deal with these things. But as we're talking about, it, I'm realizing that it could be so overwhelming for somebody that's just coming to grips with these problems. You know, so just really quickly, I want to make the point to everybody. And it's not to be you know overly promotional, but I just want to make sure people know, you know, we're going to go through a huge overview in this conversation conversation today. But in any of these areas, you want to drill deeper. Like if we just talked about wireless, you know, (laughs) the different mics that you could get, just that alone. If you want to go deeper on this, you need to call Electric Violin Shop and speak with, maybe it wouldn't be Duncan, it would probably be Chris or somebody down in Raleigh, North Carolina. But Duncan, what's that phone number again for them to call? Because this is one of the things I love about Electric Violin Shop is literally somebody as knowledgeable as Duncan is going to pick up the phone and they're just going to talk to you about your needs. And that's the reason I recommend these guys so much. So it's just a great resource. Can you can you just give us that number real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Our toll-free number is 866-900-8400. We're on the phones from 10 to 6 Eastern, Monday through Friday. Yeah, I'm not going to probably be the person to answer the phone call anymore. I'm focused more on marketing. But if you do call during our business hours, you're going to get Chris Guin, Susie, Ted, or 
our owner, Blaze, might answer the phone. And these people know so much. They've all been at it for many, many years. I don't think there's anybody in the world who has the combined knowledge um, of our staff when it comes to string amplification. And not to make this into a commercial, but I mean, all the time people ask me the same questions, you know, and there's hundreds of them about these same issues. And I usually just tell them, go to electricviolinshop.com, just find their phone number, just call them and ask them your questions. I mean, I think that's why you guys have a successful, in my opinion, that's why you have such a successful business because there's nobody else. There's nowhere else you can go. People want to call me and ask me questions. But I'm like, I can't talk to you for two hours about this. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you, you need to call these guys. So uh, what's the number one more time? Yeah, well, thanks for sending people our way. The number is 866-900-8400. I think absolutely our handholding and customer service that we're happy to do over the phone is is a big degree of our success. We've, we've been at it for years. We love talking to people and uh, we will get you what you need within your budget. Okay, so moving on from mics to pickups then. What's a pickup? What's a pickup? Well, a pickup is going to do kind of what a bridge does on your acoustic violin. It's going to sense the vibrations created by bowing the strings, and it's going to convert it into an electrical signal that can then be amplified. That sounds very heady and weird to me. So, (laughs) you know, but basically... On a practical level, a pickup is a thing that's going to be attached to your instrument. Is that it's going to be on the bridge or would it be somewhere else? There's all sorts of different kinds of pickups. We have different categories of pickups on our site. It can go in a number of different places. And actually, depending on what type of pickup and where it goes on your instrument, that again is going to change your tone. There are removable pickups that we recommend for people who maybe just have one acoustic violin. They're not ready to buy a solid body instrument for amplification. They need to go back and forth between playing in the orchestra and playing on stage on weekends in a band. So you're going to want a removable pickup. Oftentimes those will go into maybe the slot or you know the wing slot on your bridge and you'll be able to attach it to the side of your violin like you would a chin rest. That's one type of pickup. Another type of pickup might be something more permanent like maybe it's embedded in a maple bridge that's going to replace the bridge on your instrument. So if you're a classical musician, you've got to play in orchestras and and wedding quartets and things like that, and you don't want any wires on your violin, you're probably not going to opt for that. If you have maybe two acoustic violins and one of them you want to be a permanent acoustic electric instrument, you can get a permanent pickup that's going to basically turn that acoustic violin into an acoustic electric, dedicated electric violin. Now let me address that because I've been fighting with people about this for years. You're more knowledgeable about this in some ways than I am. You know, I've got a Yamaha pickup on my violin. I use Yamaha everything, you know, and uh, the Yamaha pickup is attached to my wooden bridge. And then there's a, I don't even know what you call it, like a piece of metal that's wired to that that's also attached to my violin. And so I guess there's two reasons why somebody would be resistant to that in an orchestra. Number one is because it looks funny because there's a piece of metal on your violin. Everybody can see it, right? <laughs> right. Which, which I think like whatever. I don't, doesn't bother <laughs> me. And the second reason is people think, oh, you're adding metal onto your instrument. It's going to dull the sound or change the sound. Now, I personally, I play my acoustic violin all the time. In fact, I'm, I'm sitting here. My acoustic just happens to be next to me. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it just, you know... <laughs> You know, it's a, I don't feel like the sound is compromised. I don't feel that it's significantly diminished in any way. Am I wrong, Duncan? Or, or I mean, what, you know, what do you well, think? I would that? say, I would say you're, you're both, you're right and you're wrong. You're right in that for most people, you know, adding a pickup or having a bridge replacement pickup, such as you do with your Yamaha bridge, 
um, is not going to be such a significant change tonally uh, that it's going to totally upset your acoustic playing. At the same time, we know how subjective tone is and we know how picky some people may be. Any tiny fraction of mass that you add to your bridge will change slightly the tone or maybe the degree that the overtones ring or, or whatever. So there's always going to be a change. There's always going to be a trade-off. And so that's why people who really are adamant that they need their classical violin to remain acoustic and classical, we recommend a removable pickup or a microphone or a separate instrument that might be a solid body electric. It might be an acoustic electric. And another thing that comes to mind for me is that some of these replaceable pickups are these like temporary, you know, one that you just stick on and then take off. Things come to mind like the wave or, the, or what's it called, the band or something. And then the, the Fishman was one of the first ones when I'll give them credit for that. And, and now Fishman's making a great acoustic amp that you guys have. I always thought that a lot of those temporary, you know, put on and then take off whenever you want pickups were kind of crappy. Sorry, but I mean, and and I actually recommend to a lot of people if you if you're serious about getting a pickup, you know, don't get the fifty dollar pickup. You know, spend the hundred and fifty or whatever it is, and maybe we can even talk about some of these models. But I will say that what I usually tell people is like if you're in a quiet room and you put a, a band or a fishman on and you plug it in, you know, you're probably going to get a good sound. But then if you're in a more difficult scenario where there's drums and a band and it's a big loud room, it's not going to have that quality. What do you think about all that though? Yeah, again, these are different tools for different uses. The band that you talked about, the band pickup is actually a band that wraps around the outside of the body of your violin. So it sounds, it's not terrible. It's really not terrible. The purpose that tool is being used for is usually going to be maybe a studio teacher has a student who's going to play an outdoor recital one time. You know, obviously we don't need to build a half size solid body electric violin for that one instance. So something that studio teacher owns that they can quickly adapt to their student's instrument and be able to amplify the sound. It's good enough for that situation. Like you said, though, if you're playing at a higher level, if you're playing with a band, maybe doing recording, you're going to want to invest in something that's going to really help your tone and improve your signal so that you've got something to work with. Yeah. And I mean, just to clarify that, I think you're agreeing with me that if it's just a louder scenario, if you're playing with a band, there's a drummer, that pickup, which is called the band, you might get feedback issues. You're going to have, you're probably going to have feedback. Yeah. So it would work in that recital scenario just because it's only one violin and maybe a piano and that's why right. it's going to be fine. Okay, good. So I am curious about your list of maybe the top kind of cheaper pickups, like what we just talked about, and then also the top, the, what you think are the top of the line pickups? Well, I would say one of our favorite pickup recommendations is called the Cremona. This is a removable pickup, but it sounds really good for what it is. We actually modify it. We wire it to a carpenter jack that will attach to the side of your violin so that you've got a little bit more reliable, sturdy setup. Uh, but the Cremona sounds great. It slides into the slot on the side of your bridge, and it really does a nice job of reproducing your acoustic tone. It's fairly feedback resistant. Wow. When you put something into the slot on the side of your bridge, isn't that a less than optimal way to get 
all those vibrations or maybe it's good enough though in this case because of how cheap it is it's one of those things it depends on how picky you are it's it is good enough now if you're going to keep the cremona in and try to play an acoustic gig you might be sacrificing a little bit but actually by putting the pickup element between the top and lower part of the bridge you're kind of capturing vibration from the strings as well as maybe from the feet of the bridge and the top of the instrument so you're getting a nice picture of your tone and i might actually mention and you brought up yamaha i know you play when you play solid body electric you play a yamaha sv250 is that correct right yeah so that's actually a really good example of how pickup placement can affect tone because the yamaha sv250 has two different pickups on it uh, much like electric guitars often have two or three pickups so on the sv250 you've got a yamaha pickup bridge just like the one you've got on your acoustic electric chris mm-hmm. and then you've also got um a transducer, it's actually a double piezo pickup that's underneath the feet of the bridge embedded in the body. So you've got those two pickup sources and then you've got a blend knob on the violin that allows you to go all the way to one, all the way to the other, or blend in between the two. And the reason that's important is because the placement of the pickup on the instrument uh, has a lot of effect on the tone as well. So if you're putting a pickup real close to the strings, you're gonna get a lot of brightness, you're gonna get a lot of overtones, but you're also going to get a lot of bow noise. If you place a pickup underneath the feet of the bridge, especially on something like the SV250 that has a kind of a hollow resonating space, Mm -hmm. you're going to get vibrations from the body of the instrument as well as from the bridge, but you're going to get a little bit less brightness from the strings themselves and fewer overtones. And so with an instrument like yours, Chris, the 250, uh, you're able to, I'm sure you like to dial in a certain blend of those two pickups, right? Absolutely. So the same applies to any pickup that you might buy. Like I said, the Cremona is something that is removable. It inserts in the side of the bridge. Something like, say, the Realist pickup. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Uh Uh-huh. That's one that actually, it is a removable pickup, but it's a little bit of an operation to put on and take off. So people will generally leave it on more often than not. That's going to go underneath the bridge. And so that's another one that gives a really nice picture of your tone from not only the bridge, but also the vibration of the top of your instrument. You get a really rich sound. So the Realist is a different price range, right? That's more of a top of the line kind of... Yeah, well, the Realist, you're probably going to pay like double what you would pay on the Cremona. And I'm just curious, like what, how much does it run for the Cremona? And, and again, I mean, something you mentioned is that you're actually helping people because you're setting their instruments up to make sure that the pickup can be installed conveniently. So, I mean, how much does it cost for the Cremona, uh, roughly? Uh, how much does it cost for the Realist, roughly? And what's involved as far as setup and stuff? Okay, well, just roughly, and prices change, of course, over time, but just roughly speaking, the Cremona's in about the $100 range. Yep. I think we're selling it for like 99 right now. Mm-hmm. Again, that's our modified Cremona that's wired to a really nice jack that mounts on your violin. Uh, the Realist is going to be a little more than double that. It's going to be closer to the $200 range. Got it. And then, but if they get a Cremona, you guys are setting it up for them. Basically. The Cremona, yeah, we're, we're actually wiring the Cremona pickup element to a really high quality jack called a carpenter jack. And then it's also mountable to the side of your violin, like with chin rest mounts. Right. And so if they want to do that, do they send their instrument into you and then say, no. can you, or, or, well, or you know, pe- people can visit our shop and a lot of people do visit our shop. They come from out of state, even out of country to just for the sake of visiting our shop, believe it or not, in Durham, North Carolina. If you bring your instrument to our shop, we're happy to try any number of pickups on it. Um, it's probably not going to be worth your while for what you're paying for a pickup to also pay for shipping to get it to us. What we'll do is if you give us a call, we'll guide you through the process of picking a pickup 
based on your budget, your tone needs, your performance needs, and then we'll instruct you on how to apply it to your instrument when you receive it. Great. So the Cremona, K-R-E-M-O-N-A, the Cremona pickup, be a good, inexpensive pickup option. And then the Realist, in your opinion, would be a good, more expensive option. Of course, uh, the Yamaha pickup, I've always maintained, I personally believe, is the absolute best pickup. Unfortunately, they don't, they're don't. they not making them right now. <laughs> they're not making them right now. We're, ho- we're hoping they come back. It is a really nice pickup. It's it's a dual piezo pickup. So you're getting bass and treble signal and mixing them. It's it's a really nice pickup. Yeah. Another one I might mention, just another brand, uh, is is Shirtler. And if we're really going top of the line, we're we're gonna talk about the Shirtler pickups. And they have a couple different versions, the Stat series and the Dyne series. The Dyne series is something we would recommend to somebody who has a Stradivarius and they're playing like a quartet gig that needs to be amplified because the the Dyne comes with a non-marring putty, so you can safely apply it to any violin. We've actually had a Stradivarius player use a Dyne V. Wow. Yeah. The stat is a little more like the Cremona in terms of where it adheres to your violin. You're going to place it on the bridge, but it comes with a preamp and it's a really, really high quality electrostatic transducer. But the Schertler, remember years ago I heard it and I felt that it had a really distinct, almost signature color that it added to the sound. Now, I haven't heard it in a long time. Is Does that... Re- I think that... That describes it well, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. so it has a specific kind of color, which some people may love and some people may not love. So yeah, I, you know, I know that the guy that makes them, I think he's in Germany or Holland, and he is passionate. Yeah, I think it's a Swiss company. It's a really nice piece of equipment, a really professional piece of equipment, and it's, it's going to last. It's going to sound great. Like you said, tone is subjective. That's really why you call us on this. Um, yeah. We love it when people go on our site and figure out what they want themselves because hopefully our materials and blog posts and things can guide you. But if you need to call us, we're more than happy to guide you through this. And a lot of what you pick is going to be based on what you tell us about your tone preference, as well as, you know, what your budget is. What can you afford? Great. So what are the advantages and, and disadvantages to pick up? I mean, one of the things is we already talked about whether it's going to stay on your violin, uh, where you're going to take it off, but also compared to a microphone, it's not going to translate exactly the same way. Some people may feel that you're missing some of the overtones with a pickup, although I'll tell you, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, what I'll do sometimes in the recording studio, in fact, I'm going to Los Angeles this week, to make my new record. So what I do is I plug in my pickup and I also have a mic in the same room and then I blend the two. And so you can do that in a live scenario as well, right? You could have a, just a freestanding mic. You could play into that freestanding mic, but you could also have a pickup. And then they also have these like blend options, I think, where or they used to, where you could have a pickup on your violin along with a mic and you could blend the two. Is that still around? Is that still an option? Yeah, that's something we would probably cobble together a little more. I don't think we really care anything right now that's a real true blend in one item. But uh, Got it. I would say the trade-off between pickup and mic is this. The mic, well, it does capture all the richness, the overtones, the brightness of your acoustic tone. You're also capturing a little bit of the room. You're right. going to have feedback, potentially. Potentially, right. hopefully not, but depending on the situation. Also, a little bit of what we kind of describe as boominess. 
Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. With a pickup, you're really not capturing the room at all. You're really just capturing your violin. So again, it's a trade-off. The little bit of overtone and brightness that you might sacrifice with a pickup might kind of made up for by the flexibility of not having to deal with feedback as much necessarily and also not having any of the room kind of involved in your tone. Yeah, it's, I'm glad that you qualified that because you still could get feedback with a pickup, especially some of these cheaper pickups, depending on how loud it gets or if you were to put distortion on your violin, for example, then you're more likely to get feedback. Now, I I use my distortion pedal sometimes with my acoustic with pickup on it, but I just kind of you know, carefully monitor, you know, the level, I'll ride the volume pedal. and That's kind of a great jumping off point because we've been talking about mics and pickups and the differences between. And the third category we mentioned up front was the solid body electric violin. Right. And really, if you're adding distortion to your tone, you're no longer trying to sound acoustic. So that's kind of where we draw the line. I would say that mics and pickups are really designed, they're tools for an acoustic gig. You're trying to play acoustic music with your acoustic tone, but you need to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, A solid body electric violin or electric viola, electric cello is where you get into signal processing. You're no longer trying to sound like an acoustic instrument. You're taking your tone into the realm of signal processing. I basically agree with you. I think that's absolutely the most useful distinction to make. But in my case, I do love to use signal processing with my acoustic with a pickup, but it's a very good pickup. And, you know, and I kind of know what I'm doing with, you know, the signal processing and know its limits in terms of using it with the pickup. I think sometimes it can be advantageous to have that acoustic instrument when you're using some signal processing, you know, but that's more of a getting nitpicky. So let's talk about solid bodies. Obviously, one of the main reasons is you want to go as loud as possible, turn up to 11. You want to, <laughs> you know, maybe you're going to have a drummer, it's going to be a really loud, situation. You don't want to have any problems with feedback. You're going to have total ability to manipulate your sound with any kind of signal processing or maybe even MIDI or, you know, some other kind of modifications of your sound, you know, whether you're going through a computer or whether you're going through, you know, pedals, blah, 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 right? So what else is there to say about solid body? Well, solid body instrument, one that's not hollow, or if it is hollow, doesn't have like F-hole openings, it's going to be your most feedback resistant option, which like you said, it's going to allow you to play with drums, with an electric guitar, in a really loud hall or arena, lots of echoes going on, you're not going to experience feedback issues. That's one of the great aspects of a solid body electric. Another thing I like about it, and this kind of touches on the adverse side of what you were saying about using effects with an acoustic electric, which can, like you say, be a great thing. The thing is, when you're using effects with an acoustic electric, you're putting out acoustic tone as well as whatever your affected tone is, which may or may not be distracting to you as a player and may or may not be distracting to a listener. Whereas if you're using a solid body, the solid body instrument really doesn't produce hardly any acoustic tone at all. Uh, The Yamaha instruments, for example, they call themselves the silent violin, the silent cello. Now, they're not truly silent. That's a bit of a misnomer. There's a little bit of string vibration that can be heard in the room. Mm -hmm. For all intents and purposes, it's not producing acoustic tone. And so if you're doing signal processing, if you're dealing with delays, reverbs, uh, other things like that, you're not really hearing anything under your ear. What you're hearing is whatever goes through your signal chain and comes out the amplifier somewhere else in the room. Yeah, and it's funny that you brought up the Yamaha 
Yamaha Silent because when they first created that, I think in 1996 or something, the reason they brought it on the market was for people in Japan to be able to practice in their small apartments without right, disturbing right. their neighbors. And they brought it to me and they were like, look, you can practice silently and you can put, you know, you can put headphones in the instrument and then you could turn reverb on and listen to yourself as loud as you want, but nobody else is going to hear you, which I love that application. I mean, I love that functionality because I can practice in the van, you know, or I can practice in the airport or in a hotel anytime or at my house when my son's sleeping, you know, it's just kind of a funny, you know, secondary thing about solid, solid bodies is that you can get that silent practice. Solid body, the advantage of it, I guess the disadvantage would be if you're going for that pure acoustic sound, you're not going to have it. If you wanted to play acoustically, that could be a disadvantage because you won't be able to hear it very well. And then when we talk about this incredible diversity or variety of solid bodies, you've got fretted violins, you've got seven-string violin, you know, electrics, you've got uh, yeah, different different shapes, you know, different cool looks, colors, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what that's else? That's the other big advantage. Yeah. The other thing, we've been talking tone like crazy here, but the other great thing about a solid body instrument is that since it doesn't produce an acoustic tone, it really doesn't rely heavily on the acoustical properties of the materials in the instrument, mm-hmm. you are kind of not subject to the laws of acoustics anymore. So you go back and talk about the, you know, 17th century Stradivarius or whatever, there's no electrical signal to boost that sound. So it's all about the shape of the violin. It's all about how the the wood interacts to project the sound. On a solid body electric, you're going to let an amplifier do all that work. And so now you're freed up, the designer of the violin is freed up to go crazy. So if you look on our site, you're going to see a hundred different really cool shapes. And some of them have functional purposes, you know, design purposes, and some of them just look really cool. So that we've got wooden violins, we've even had metal violins, acrylic violins that light up. There's all sorts of things you can do when you don't have to worry about the acoustical properties of the shape of the instrument. Another thing I would add to that is you can now go to five, six, or seven strings. There's even been, I believe, an eight-string violin we don't carry it. It's not a commonly produced thing, obviously. Yeah, that's great. And I guess there's pros and cons of the shape of the violin in terms of playability. And I'll also, I think that's a popular misconception. As you said, people think, well, do I have to relearn the instrument? Not necessarily. In the case of the Yamaha silent violins, they're made, you know, basically to spec. You know, they're made like, it feels to me just like playing an acoustic, maybe just a little bit easier. <laughs> but then some of the instruments, you're going to have to adjust how you play because of the way they're shaped or, you know, just because you get a solid body, it doesn't mean that you need to change anything else about how you play the instrument in theory, right? I, I'd agree. And I, I would also add that that's another kind of service that we provide. A lot of what we do is help customers on the phone, but another way Way that we help customers that you may not even be aware of is by limiting the selection that we offer to only violins, violas, cellos, basses that kind of meet our standards for playability. So uh, if you go on eBay or, or Amazon or something, you might <laughs> type in electric violin and find a 50 or 100 or $200 electric violin or cello. It's probably got a funny shape, probably never <laughs> been, it's probably never been handled by, you know, an instrument tech. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to save hundreds of dollars and you're going to get it. And it's not going to sound very good in all likelihood. You're going to probably struggle to play the thing. The 
pegs are going to slip. The proportionality might be different than what you're used to. We don't deal in those things. And that's yeah. kind of where we draw the line in our catalog. So if it's on our site, it's because we've played it, yeah. we've handled it, and, and it really meets our standards for something that we think you're going to be able to transition nicely to playing. Oh, that's great, man. So you guys are putting your stamp of approval on something because then you're starting to talk about reliability issues and, you know, hey, if I'm buying this thing, what happens if it breaks? Or whatever? I know that's part of the reason I love Yamahas because they've got a five-year warranty. You know, you can absolutely trust them right. uh, to take care of any problem. I'm sure that not every manufacturer gives that level of service, but I know that you guys are sort of an intermediary and you're going to be able to spell that out to people. So that's a, a great reason to, I mean, is there anything else to say about that? I mean, as far as warranties, I don't know. Maybe that's just a more detailed question. Most of the brands we carry do provide warranties, especially some of the produced instruments, things that are being made in, in larger batches by bigger companies. They're going to have a nice warranty thing. Got we it. carry. We also carry a number of instruments by individual makers, electroluthiers, right. if you will. Right. Who wow. do some really creative work, some really high-end work. Nice. And they work with beautiful wood and everything. But again, for what we're asking for those instruments, we, we're very certain before we send them out to you that it's been set up, that it works, that it's reliable, and that you're not going to have any issues down the road. That's great. And if they do have an issue, they can call you. <laughs> That's oh, totally. <laughs> they, won't yeah. have to, they won't be stuck with some like missing in action on eBay somewhere. Yeah. No, right. if, if you talk to Chris on the phone and buy a violin today and three years from now have a question and call, Chris is probably going to answer the phone. So, right, right, right. Yeah, it's, it's great. All right, good. We're covering a lot of great stuff here. I want to go on to the next thing. Again, encourage people, electricviolinshop.com and their phone number's right there. Give them a call anytime if you want to go deeper into these things or put a Facebook comment on the, the show notes for this episode and Duncan and or I will probably see your comment or your question. And we'd love to hear what you think about this and maybe you have a different opinion about what we're saying or something you want to add. So, you know, go to christianhouse.com uh, or electricviolenceshop.com because I'm sure Duncan's going to put this up there as well and leave a comment or send us an email, you know, info at electricviolenceshop.com or chris at christianhouse.com. We definitely want to get everybody's feedback on this. Now, Duncan, let's move on. We said before, all these things, a mic, a pickup, a solid body, it's not enough, actually. I mean, you still have to deal with the accessories. We're talking about either an amp or a PA, maybe a preamp, some effects, you know, maybe a loop pedal. All these different things are going to be really important to how you get a sound. And if you were trained as an acoustic player, you've got this embedded in your brain that it's all about you and a piece of wood. And how, and how you manipulate that piece of wood, and that's all there is. But it's no longer like that. Now it's about you know using other kinds of technology to express yourself as an artist. And so you've got to use all these, you know, turn the knobs and, and the dials and all that stuff. So I don't even know where we start with that. We talk about kind of the necessary components of good tone. What would, what would you say? You're exactly right. On the acoustic violin, it's you and a piece of wood. On the electric violin, it's you and anywhere from five to 50 <laughs> different components that are going to contribute to what your tone is. I don't want to take you as the player out of the equation. I think 
by far your technique is still the most important part of how well you sound. Just like you, Chris, you're a great player, a low-end electric violin and still sound pretty good. Somebody who's really not a good player at all, maybe just getting started, could have a $5,000 top-of-the-line electric violin and not sound very good. So your technique is still crucial. But in terms of gear, you've got the instrument or the pickup that we already talked about. But I would say of almost equal importance is how you pair it with a good amp. You've also got the strings, just like on your acoustic, and the bow. They play into what your tone is, believe it or not. Your effects, your preamp if you're using one, and even down to the quality of the cables that you use can affect your tone. And I I think I would sum it up by saying the quality of your amplified tone is really only as good as the weakest component in your chain. Wow. But let's talk about amps because, you know, 10 years ago, if you went to any venue and you said, I want an amp for my violin, they're going to give you one of the standard vintage guitar amps, which is either a Fender Twin or a, a Roland jazz chorus, you know, and there's still today, that's usually are going to be, those are usually the standards. And and the problems with that was it was really hard, I found, to get a good sound unless you were going for like certain type of sound, you know, like a really modified sound. But nowadays they have these acoustic amps. I mean, I would say most of the time going to be the go-to for electric would you say that's true or I would totally agree with that. If you look at the amps page on our site, you're not going to find, you know, big Marshall stacks and things like that. Like you said, you go to a gig 10 years ago, they give you an electric guitar amp. What you're going to find is that electric guitar amps are very biased towards the treble side of things. The electric guitar signal kind of lives in the the realm of the mids and and it likes that treble boost. Violins in particular as we know, are very bright to begin with. A lot of treble, a lot of high overtones. So what we use and recommend is an acoustic instrument amplifier. And if somebody doesn't know what you're talking about and you're on a gig and the soundman says, what kind of amp do you want? You can you can usually tell them an acoustic guitar amplifier as well, right? Is that kind of the same thing or not? An acoustic guitar amp, an acoustic bass amp. For lack of anything else, if you absolutely have to, you could do even an electric bass amp before an electric guitar amp. That would be a last resort in my opinion. Ah, yeah, because the violin's in the higher register and you want to and i guess this might change a little bit for cello um obviously i'm just going to throw out there two of my favorite acoustic amps different price points uh on the lower side of the price point um the fishman loud box which i got from you guys i also got the mini version sounds amazing is really inexpensive and the mini oh is super light the mini is um something that you could busk with on the street although i don't know if it has battery capability if you get a good i'm sure you'll know of a good sounding amp with battery capability for buskers but i recommend that that fishman loud box and then on the high end i think my favorite amp today is the aer but it's very you know expensive acoustic image is a serious contender as well what what are your favorites you know you you kind of hit them all uh the only <laughs> one i would add at, at the bottom end even below the fishman in terms of price is the custom brand amp they're an electric guitar amp company an electric bass amp company but they have a series called the sienna pro that's their acoustic series amps so now we're not going to probably recommend that those to you know a, a gigging professional but we sell a lot of the Sienna Pro custom amps to people who are just getting started because it's an effective way to still sound really good without spending way too much money just to get into electric violin playing. But you're absolutely right. We love the Fishman amp. It's a great price point. It's a great balance of you know small size and portability, big power, big sound, great tone, great price. 
And then, like you mentioned, the acoustic image amps. And actually, acoustic image amps uh, come from right down the road from us. When we place our order for acoustic image amps, we actually drive over and get them. They're about eight miles down the road from us uh, in Raleigh. And they're made by a very small company, I think, that you yes. know, puts a lot of time into them. And you know, I think... I don't know, a few years back, I think they were just taking like orders one by one, you know, custom, basically like making them by order. I'm going to throw in a tip there that I think is one of the most important things for anybody that nobody ever talks about, which is, in my humble opinion, you need to have a great sounding amp like what we just talked about. Ideally, it should be portable. So you're not killing yourself, you know, trying to carry so much stuff. I mean, you want it to, in my opinion, you want to have maybe an amp with enough power to be loud enough in like a bar or like a smaller room with a band. But if you're going to be in a bigger room, you just want to be able to put a mic on it and that you're going to have a sound system and a sound man. So then you're still going to want to have your small amp. And what I do is always put that small, good sounding amp. I elevate it and I point it in my ear. Yep. And if I don't elevate it on a chair or a table and put it like, you know, four feet from my ear, you know, then I'll point it up, you know, from the ground. I'll lean it back on something or just some of them naturally lean. You can point at yourself. But it's one of the biggest problems people have is not hearing themselves on the gig. And so then it causes them to force and play too high and then don't sound musical. And, and I much rather prefer to hear myself crystal clear to be able to play lighter because this is one of the advantages actually from a technique standpoint of being amplified is you can use so much less force, so much less bow, and you can just be much more relaxed and you can get all the sound you need. I don't know if there's anything you'd add to that. And I'd also like to talk about the advantages of amps versus going direct to a PA. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with everything you just said in terms of how to use it on stage. What you said about sound production is true as well. I mean, so much of what we learn is classically trained violinists and cellists and violists is its bow technique and how to produce that big sound that's going to project to the back of an auditorium. And like you say, and what I notice in your playing, Chris, is all the subtlety of small bow stuff that goes on that you wouldn't be able to do without sound reinforcement necessarily. Right. Now, what about if you go direct to a PA? Do you need an amp? I mean, if you're only going to be playing in halls where they have a PA and a sound man there, you know, you can go direct to the PA. Should you do that or not? It's a best practices situation. I mean, if you don't have an amp with you, there's not a lot of choice. <laughs> you're going to have to plug into the soundboard directly. What I hope you have is a preamp or a direct box which is going to kind of attenuate your signal so that your signal is something that the mixer is going to receive well and make sound good. That said, you should have an amp. You really should have an amp. You're going to be able to practice at home with it, like you said, in smaller venues, like a bar maybe or a coffee shop. You're going to be able to play without a PA system and sound good and fill up the room. And then thirdly, like you said, with an amplifier, you're going to be able to use it to hear yourself, to monitor your own sound on stage. The way you can do that is on stage is to have your amplifier set up to where you can hear it pointing at you, but then also to use some amps have a direct output uh, that's going to take that signal and send it to the board. You could also, like you say, mic the amp 
set up a microphone anywhere from six inches to a few feet away from the amp, point it at the amp, and get a really nice tone from that microphone, which then gets sent to the board. Or do a combination of both and let the board mix your mic to amp tone and the direct tone. Yeah, and there's pros and cons of, of both from the standpoint of if you have an amplifier on stage in that venue, then you hear your sound and you can control it to some degree on stage, the stage volume, but you're not necessarily controlling the sound out in the auditorium. And so that's when it becomes helpful to have a front of house sound guy out there who hears the whole picture in this big hall and knows whether you're like blasting everybody else out or if you can't be heard. So it's good to give them some control. On the other hand, it's good for you to have control because if you're putting all your trust in the sound man and you say, here's my cable, just plug me in and make me sound good. A lot of times they don't know how to make a violin sound good in a rock band because it's not what they're dealing with all the time. So it may be too shrill or who knows, they may not add enough reverb to your sound or too much reverb to your sound. I mean, what do you think about that? That's such a good point. We talk with people all the time about that. The sound engineer's job is not to make you sound good as a violinist. It's to make the band sound good as a mix in the room. That's their job. It's your job to make your violin sound good. And that's where having effects, uh, a good amplifier, maybe a preamp, that's where all that comes into play. So if you're just sending your tone straight from your violin into a PA, you've totally abdicated control over your tone and you're going to get what you get on his end. So you really need to take responsibility for your own tone. And I guarantee you, not only will your audience be happier, but you'll feel a lot better about your performance. That's right. And I mean, it could go the other way where you have some brilliant sound person out there who knows more than you do and makes you sound better than yourself. But more often than not, you might be in a situation where they don't know what you want to sound like. And so they're not going to get the sound you need. So it does come down to, as you said, taking responsibility and kind of just getting your hands dirty a little bit, you know, like exploring and and figuring it out, opening the manual. So you mentioned preamps. Preamps were always something I didn't understand that much. I mean, a preamp, as you said, it kind of attenuates a signal, but I don't know what that means. I don't think a lot of people know what it means. But I mean, in practice, what it does is it gives you a warmer sound, right? Or it colors your sound slightly. And again, there's different types of preamps. I would say it breaks down like this. Do you need a preamp or not? Comes down to what kind of instrument do you have and what kind of amp do you have? (laughs) So there's two types of solid body instruments. There's active and passive. So most of the Yamaha instruments are active instruments. They're battery-powered preamps on board the instrument itself. If that's the case, your signal is already in pretty good shape when it leaves the instrument through a cable. Technically, you could just plug that into an amp or plug it into a soundboard and probably sound, you know, all right. You're never going to be hurt by adding a preamp to that, though. It's going to slightly boost your signal. It's going to clean up the signal, clean up your tone. And some preamps, depending on their options, are going to give you a lot of EQ control and tone control, as well as maybe feedback controls if needed. Yeah, and this is a good segue into uh, effects pedals, because for my preamp, I just use my effect pedals. I think they basically function as a preamp. Even my loop pedal maybe functions as a preamp. But I use a multi-effects unit. The one that I've been using for a long time is the Boss ME. 70, I think you have. Yeah, and now they, you know, that's they just every year they have a different model with some slightly, you know, new variations. I think they're up to 80 or 90, but it's basically the Boss ME, which stands for multi-effect, I think. And so that's what I use. And it's got a bunch of effects in it. It's very portable. You don't have to set up 30 different pedals. It's pretty inexpensive and it sounds pretty good. And it has one of the advantages is it has a preamp. It also has a volume pedal. It also has delay, which sounds pretty good. The reverb on the unit, I'm not crazy about, but it functions if I need it. And usually I'm gonna have a better reverb in my amp anyway. 
or I can get reverb from the soundboard. So that's kind of my go-to is to have a multi-effect pedal, mostly because it's practical. But obviously, you can get custom effects pedals of all sorts. You can get octave pedals to go up an octave, down an octave. You can get delay pedals, reverb pedals, volume pedals, wah-wah pedals, distortion pedals, modulation pedals such as chorus, flanger, phaser, etc., etc. What would you add about effects. Going back on what you said, I agree 100%. I guess what I would say about it is you're right. If you're just getting into this, we've been covering a lot of ground, talking a lot about a different kinds of equipment, PAs and preamps and mics and pickups, etc. If you were going to spend your money right now to go electric for the first time, we would recommend getting a solid body electric instrument if you can afford it, an amplifier and a multi-effects processor. Obviously, you would need cables to connect it all, but you don't necessarily have to have a bunch of individual effects pedals and a separate preamp and a PA system and a mixing board. An instrument, an amp, and effects will get you there. And like you said, the effects unit is gonna have preamp settings. The amplifier usually has a preamp stage as well. And then if you wanna get deeper with it, like Casey Dreesen or somebody, you know, he's got this massive mounted board with you know i don't know how many different pedals but he uses them and he sounds amazing and nobody sounds like him and it's again i mean talk about taking responsibility for your sound and talk about having having a sound you know a distinct sound as an artist i mean that's what guitar players do i mean you get two guitar players in a room and they're going to start talking about this stuff for hours about gear and you know but that's what you start getting into if you're really looking at the finer aspects i'm assuming that you guys have all this stuff you've got tons of different pedals that have been really vet as far as their compatibility with string instruments. That's right. We've tried so many different brands of effects pedals. We've just really narrowed it down to keep it simple for our customers. We don't get into the multi-thousand dollar rack effects units or anything like that. Usually a studio is going to have that. Or if you're a top-end professional performer, recorder, you're going to invest in that separately. We're trying to help people who are just getting into amplified playing and really don't know that much about effects. Like you said with Casey Dreesen, I'd say Tracy Silverman's another great example yep. of somebody with a signature sound. Yep. They've built their signature sound over years and decades of experimentation. Yep. The place that it all begins and the place that anybody who's listening to this today can start is with a one or $200 multi-effects processor, like you said. It's going to have the different effects types in it, volume effects, distortion effects, modulation effects, and time-based effects like reverb and delay. So you're going to be able to monkey around with all of those. And I would start by playing individually with each different kind. Go go from zero all the way to 100 and then in between and mm -hmm. see, what, see what changes in your sound. Mm -hmm. But do one effect at a time until you understand what they all do. Mm -hmm. And then experiment with combining them in twos and threes and fours and building different tones and you can save them usually on an effects processor you can save a tone that you've built using different components into like a patch or a library of effects and then you'll mm -hmm. be able to call them up in performance i'm with you man <laughs> One of the last things I wanted to touch on is looping. I mean, years ago, I was always anti-gimmick. I thought, ah, loop pedals are gimmicks. I'm never going to want to do that, right? Because I thought it was like for people that couldn't play or something. I don't know what I was thinking. But then the last five years, I've done a complete about face and I'm all about the loop pedal because I've found that there's these great applications of using looping 
not only from a practice standpoint in the practice room, but also on the stage and also teaching. So I'm huge into loops for a variety of reasons. And you can do it with pedals, but you can also do it with applications on a computer. Or you can do that with effects too. You can go through a computer. So I'm under the impression that looping technology has become more and more inexpensive and kind of easier to use. Is that true? And what what would you say about looping? I think looping is maybe the coolest thing you can do with an electric violin. And I'm glad you brought it up. It has so many applications, as you mentioned. There's maybe even a few that I would add to that in a second here. But as far as looping technology, uh, there are some real basic ones where it might be a small unit with one switch, I should say, one foot switch, all the way up to really complex ones where you can maybe have three different loops going at once and change back and forth and pause and start. And all of them, like you say, over the last decade or so have come down in price and improved in quality. So it's it's a really cool thing to get into. You mentioned uh, performance. It's one of the things that kind of takes the violin to the next level, puts it almost on par with keyboard and guitar in terms of versatility, because now you're able to apply several layers to what you're playing. You can add a bass line. You can add a rhythm section by chopping or pizzicatoing or strumming. You can add multiple layers of harmony and melody. So you're able to do like a guitarist and keyboardist can do, create a really layered, complex piece of music all by yourself with one violin. Yeah, it's not just a gimmick anymore. It's another extension of your ability to be expressive as an artist. And, you know, just like all this technology we're talking about. And if people don't get that, you know, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, and Christian, another thing that's so much a part of your focus and that we appreciate so much you doing for the community is teaching violinists and cellist string players to hear, improving their ears, uh, making them listen to how music comes together. And a great way to practice that is by doing it using a looper. So if you go on YouTube and search, you know, violin cover of, you know, whatever Katy Perry song, you're probably going to see a lot of teenagers, you know, playing the CD track in the background and then just playing the vocal line over top with their violin. And that's great. You know, that's that's nice. I'm yep. glad that they're doing it. Yep. But by going one step further, taking a looper and not using a backing track, but building the backing track yourself, you're really training your ear to break down what are the different parts in this song? What's the bass part sound like? What are the harmonies? What's the rhythm like? And then can I apply the melody on top of that musically? So I think it's a really great tool for ear training that a lot of your students might benefit from. Absolutely. And it's just about developing your musicianship to the highest level. It's not yes. just, it's not about, you know, classical music versus, you know, rock music. These are the skills and the knowledge and the abilities that musicians can develop. So it's, it's all part of the same thing of music and self-expression and, you know, everything that music is <laughs> in our world. I feel like it's all one of the same. I love bringing it back to this because a lot of times when I'm in schools working with orchestras, the teachers think that I'm going to come in and teach something else. And I am teaching something else, but it's also the same. It's also, we're talking about the same issues of rhythm and melody and harmony and creating drama and moving people through music and being creative. So it's funny how much it comes back to that. And I'll look at a teacher afterwards and they'll be like, oh, wow, I see you were talking about the contact point of the bow and you were talking about dynamics and you were talking about ensemble and subdivision. I'm like, yeah, it's all music. It's all the same stuff. Okay, well, great. And then loop pedals. From what I know, I think you can get a loop pedal probably for a hundred bucks. You can even get that iPhone... (laughs) 
<laughs> looping app, I think, for 15 bucks. Although you couldn't do that with your violin, but you could you could sing loops and with like a $15 iPhone loop app. But I think you can get like a decent the small ditto module for like 120 bucks. And then on those top of the line loop pedals, we're talking more like what, maybe 700 bucks. Do you, do you know? Am I in the ballpark? Yeah, you're about right. I would say $100 to six or $700 for a lot of the uh, foot controlled loopers. Is there anything we missed? Anything else you'd like to touch on? No. And as far as this being a complicated topic, and hopefully we've talked about it in a way that people can understand, but everything I've learned about all of this and everything that my coworkers at Electric Violin Shop have learned, it's been through experience. We didn't take a course in electric violin effects or something. It's the same way you're going to learn it. And the best way to start is to give us a call. Tell us what you want to do. Tell us how much you can spend. We totally respect budgets. I mean, we, we if you've got $250 to spend, we're not going to sell you a $600 electric violin. We're going to sell you a decent pickup and an amp so you can get started. Yeah. If you got three grand to spend, we can help you there too. Um, you know, we'll encourage you to budget for a good amp and effects processor within that. Don't just blow it all on a, on a really nice instrument. But yeah, we're going to help you out over the phone. We're going to get you started. And when you open that box, uh, you're just going to enter a completely new world of, you know, playing with tones and you're going to learn so much right off the bat. I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people, they don't know where to start, but I think that it goes back to what is it that you want to do? Because some people might be, as you said, you know, they might be playing in a, every Sunday in a worship band. And I think that's going to, you know, if they call you and they say, hey, I just want to play in this worship band every Sunday, or if they said, hey, I'm going to be accompanying a singer-songwriter, or I want to go out and do solo things in cafes, giving you that context is going to be everything you need to be like, okay, so we know that these are going to be the options. And then given your budget, we're going to make it, it work for that. But would you agree that it does come back to like, what are you trying to do? And that once you know that, you can really put it together from there? Yeah. Know what it is you want to do. And what you want to do now may extend into something else. Once you get the equipment and figure out what it can do, oh, wait, I can do this as well. Maybe I need to get a different pedal. But it all starts with knowing what you want to do initially, giving us a call. And it's not going to be a sales call when we pick up the phone. I mean, we're not going to try to convert you in 10 minutes or something like that. Right. It's basically opening up a dialogue that can go on for days or weeks. You might call back several times as you research on the site with new questions. And we are so happy. Chris, Susie, Ted, Blaze do such a great job of handling people's concerns individually and really, really putting people into the equipment and gear that they need. I'm going to testify to that because it's the thing that completely distinguishes Electric Violin Shop is bar none, besides the fact that they know it all and they've got everything and they've sussed it out. It's really the fact that they're going to do what Duncan just said. They're going to talk to you on the phone. Whether or not you want to buy something or not, you just have some question, they're going to answer it. And what's that number one more time? It is toll-free 866-900-8400. And electricviolinshop.com, you can go there. And if you go electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings, then that will let them know that I sent you and you'll actually get some kind of discount for that as well, as far as I know. Duncan, you are a friend and you are an artist and a gentleman and a scholar. I really want to, I want to thank you and I want to thank Blaze and everybody at Electric Violin Shop for what you're doing for this community and for music education and the music field. And also thank you for sponsoring the Creative Strings podcast for the in its first year and we're going to be doing it for another year. This has been a great experience for me in my growth personally and in my career and in accomplishing my mission and my vision to try to help people in this community and provide valuable content. And you guys have been supporting it all along. And now today, you're actually providing the content. I cannot thank you enough, man. So, And everybody, if you're listening, just one last reminder, go to the show notes page at christianhouse.com and put a comment 
in or go to electricviolinshop.com because Duncan's going to post this there as well. Share this, comment, let us know what you think. If you disagree, hey, we want to hear about it, you know, and if there's something you want to add, if you appreciated it, you know, let us know. Please share this, you know, send an email, whatever, tweet it, like it, whatever you do. So thank you again, Duncan, and I think we're going to sign off. All right. Thanks for all your time, Chris. Thanks for all you do for the community. There you have it. The conversation doesn't stop here. Make sure to go to the show notes page at christianhounds.com. Leave some more questions there if you want in the Facebook comments on my blog. Or you can go to electricviolinshop.com. They're going to have it up there too. If you go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings, you can find their phone number there. And you can also get a special promotional discount and it'll let them know that I sent you, that you came from the Creative Strings podcast. As usual, I want to thank you for sticking around and sharing this and engaging with us and letting us know what you think. You can always contact me directly at chris at christianhouse.com or hey, why not? Electric Violin Shop does it. I'll do it too. Just give me a call if you want anytime on my mobile phone, 614-332-8689. See you next time.